Hi guys, it's Annie McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, Ben Ashworth will be speaking to Veronique Richard. Veronique is a mental performance consultant who works with numerous teams and also Cirque du Soleil. So this conversation will cover some refreshing and slightly different topics to what you're perhaps used to with us. If you work with elite athletes and teams or influence elite performers and you would like to showcase your own blog posts, editorials, letters to the editor and ultimately articles, then head to our website informperformance.com. We are now hosting guest contributors content to share with our audience or now readership. Head to our site under articles to find out more about this. This episode of the Informed Performance podcast has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of the Force Frame. Used by health and performance professionals for assessing and improving performance and rehabilitation, the Force Frame is a powerful solution for quickly and accurately testing isometric strength and imbalances. In addition to testing athletes, the Force Frame is also used to maintain and improve strength, offering over 130 isometric training protocols. As a portable and easy-to-use system, the force frame is designed to ensure every measurement can be accurately and reliably measured, time after time again. To learn more about the force frame, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. You're listening to Inform Performance, and I'm going to hand over to Ben now for his episode with Veronique Richard. Enjoy, guys. Welcome to the Inform Performance podcast. Um, delighted today to have Veronique Richard on the show. Um, Veronique is a mental performance consultant and she's working with different national teams in Canada and also at Cirque du Soleil. Um, she's also an associate researcher at the National Circus School. So Veronique, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for uh, the invite actually. Really glad to be here. So it's a little bit of a different show, as you can probably tell from the introduction today, and we're going to be looking at some um, some different angles, hopefully, for the listeners. I just want to give you an opportunity to bring the listeners up to speed on on your background and, uh, you know, what you do and, and your kind of journey to this point. Yeah, well, I have a pretty uh, non-linear journey, if that makes any sense. Um, when I was doing my master's degree in sports sciences with um, profile in sports psychology, uh, I had the opportunity to do an internship at Cirque du Soleil. And this is where I asked some of your listeners, just to make sure that everyone knows Cirque du Soleil is a Montreal-based company. So the headquarters is here in Montreal, where I am also uh, living. And I did this internship where I discover all those artistic method um whether it is theatrical improv comic improv the the artist or the athlete that were trying to become artists because this is a lot of the a lot of the circus artists are actually former athlete and i was fascinated by how they were transforming through these workshops and activity and, and i really really got curious so I decided to ask two of the professor if they would be willing uh, to get into a, a project with me, a research project, uh, to measure the impact of these type of movement activities. Uh, and they were thrilled to just dive into it with me. And that became the topic of my PhD. 
So a bit naively, I would say, I started a PhD in sports sciences uh, with the same profile in like performance psychology, but I really, really focus on the role of creativity in sport, which I was doing it as a PhD, not really thinking about the future, but it just ended up becoming quite attractive to a lot of people. So I got invited at Florida State University to complete a postdoc. So I did a postdoc at FSU, Florida State University, and coming back from FSU, then it's like if the the topic of creativity got, I don't know, quite popular, and a lot of people got interested in enhancing their creativity, whether it is athlete, whether it is coach. Uh, so from there, I just developed a really different practice, I would say, using a lot of either using a lot of creative activities or using activity to enhance um, creativity. So yeah, that's a little bit of uh, my journey. And now I'm here in Montreal uh, working with all those organizations that you uh, mentioned in the intro. It's very, uh, it's very interesting, uh, very interesting background. Um, I just think uh, perhaps to, to frame the conversation going forward, you know, you talk about creativity. So what, what is creativity? And, and, you know, for the people like me working in sport, what does, what does it mean for sports? Yeah, it's actually a really good question because uh, we hear about this word creativity, creativity, it's important. Creativity should be enhanced, but what is it exactly? If we take really, really the, the most basic definition Creativity is the capacity to generate novel and useful ideas or product. Um, so there's these two criteria. The criteria, it has to be novel. And the second, it has to be useful. Like it's not enough to be novel or surprising. It has to be useful to your own domain. So depending on the domain. But more and more, uh, this definition is really too much oriented toward the outcome. And we realize that creativity has much more to offer than only the outcome. So now there's uh, scientists have defined creativity as a much more holistic concept, which uh, will include the interaction between some individual characteristic and the environment. So creativity emerge from an environment that is open, a risk-friendly environment, which I can talk later about, and also from some characteristic of an individual, like being willing to take risk, uh, being cognitively flexible, and stuff like that. And when someone that has those characteristics interact with an environment that is offering a lot of opportunity to uh, create, well, this is increasing the likelihood of creativity to emerge. So why is this important in sport, which was the second part of your question? Well, first, if we take really the outcome uh, of creativity, it can be really interesting for performance because uh, there's two big category of creativity in sport, movement creativity. So for all the movement-based sport, uh, like gymnastic, um, golf, all those like 
more movement-based sport where it can allow an athlete to develop a new technique, a new way to circumvent some of his weakness. For instance, we all know the uh, super popular Fosbury flop, the high jump, like who really, really changed uh, the, the way people were doing high jumping. It happens often in gymnastics as well, where some athletes develop new movement technique to optimize the performance. But we also know, and this is where maybe creativity is the most known, uh, for decision-making, um, we know that a lot of really, really well-renowned athletes um, are those that can take those surprising decision-making that no one would have expected that, oh my God, he passed the ball to this person where everyone was looking at this other person. Uh, so yeah, so there's either movement creativity or what we call tactical creativity. So this is like bottom line, the, the outcome that we want. But of course, there's uh, a lot more to creativity that, that can uh, be a, uh, beneficial for athletes okay that's the kind of thing we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more I think we'll come back to that a bit later on but again sort of what other than performance you know what what other benefits are there in terms of creating or developing an athlete's creative potential yeah well actually this is exactly where my research is more interested in like the outcome of developing creativity but for psychological skills. Um, so for instance, we know that creativity is linked to adaptability. So people that are able to generate more ideas that are novel, useful, are also able to better adapt to unexpected situation, for instance. Uh, we also know that Creativity is linked with self-actualization. So someone that is allowed to express his creativity will usually reach a higher state of well-being because you feel the freedom of expressing your own creativity. It can also be super good for stress management. Uh, we know that being creative comes with the fact of going against the crowd, which can sometimes increase the stress and the pressure you have on you. So if you get used to it, then when you face the pressure of performing um, in front of a big crowd or in a moment of high pressure, you might be better equipped for that. So there's different uh, psychological benefits uh, to develop your creativity more generally, less like targeting toward tactical or movement creativity, but just becoming more creative uh, as an individual. Okay, so, I mean, we've, we've spoken before about this and I was really interested in some of your kind of methods of, of developing creativity in athletes. But for the listeners, can you, can you give a bit of a flavor as to um, some, some examples perhaps about around how you develop that creati creativity in athletes? Yeah, well, there's different things that I do, some that are super like non-sport specific, so away from the field. An example of that would be I've developed movement improvisation activities. So basically, during those movement improv activity, I bring athlete to not only explore um, various how can I say it? Various um, creative learning, but we also make sure that they use their body differently in order to realize uh, how their mind can limit 
themselves. So for instance, I do this activity that might sound a little silly, but we do walking away from the obvious. So I'm sure that, Ben, you are walking every day without ever reconsidering how you walk, right? You just walk automatically, really often having other stuff in mind, right? But in this activity, I bring athletes to walk like if their body was made of different substances. So what if, how would you walk if your body was made of oil, was made of water, was made of sand, of air, and then they start moving. And at the beginning, as you might imagine, it's quite uncomfortable. The athletes are looking at each other, quite uncertain of like, how am I supposed to walk if my body is made of water? Like, really? But after just a little while, when they let go of, you know, the social expectation or social pressure, and they just let their body move differently, they realize that, oh, well, actually, I was my own limitation. And then, of course, the debrief that we are doing after each movement activity is super, super important, meaning that they have to connect the dots between how rigid they were at the beginning when they were walking and how tough it was to walk away from their pattern of walking and let themselves go explore other way of walking. And then we make this connection with, hmm, isn't it the same with other of your behavior that you might have on the field, that you might have with your teammates, that you might have even in your daily life? And then they realize they're like, ah, yeah, I'm, I have some quite well anchored pattern that it's really tough for my coach to make me move away from these patterns. So then we enter into really interesting conversations. So that's an example of how I use movement to help athletes realize that, mm, yes, there's some limitation to your creativity. And here's one, you've just experienced it in an outside activity. Let's see how we can uh, make things different in your environment. Of course, I'm also doing activities that are much more sport related. So for instance, one of the really cool projects I'm currently doing with uh, Water Polo Canada, the women national team, we do strength and conditioning mix with mental performance. And we use a lot of creative activity to either stimulate their perceptual cognitive skills so we really, really, uh, just the fact of moving differently all the time uh, is really challenging for your brain. And athletes, at the beginning, they are, again, it's always the same process. When I bring people outside of their comfort zone, there's this moment of, like, they don't know what to do. They are resource depleted. They're like, uh, and they look at it, like, they're looking at each other is really like, this is a, it's always the same. People feel uncomfortable. But then like we've been doing this for, I don't know, nine months with water polo. Now, like now they just arrive in the gym. When they see me, they know there will be some like really challenging activities that will be a bit chaotic. Nonlinear pedagogy is something I use a lot. Constraint, variability, I use a lot of even differential learning, meaning that uh, I force them to go in, into like extreme technique, like stuff that are usually considered 
wrong and we go and we explore that and there's no judgment uh there's no like all mistakes if mistake there is because i consider there's no mistake really in these activity so this is also stuff i do and then when coaches are willing we can even integrate some of those principles in the water on the field in their really really sport specific environment i feel i've talked enough (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I actually wanted to sort of ask the question actually when you were talking there I was thinking about um, trying to take that into certain environments you know if I consider the environment environment I'm in right now I mean sometimes we have we have some variability in our warm-ups um, and we've spoken about this before off air by the yeah. way but where where have you been most surprised at the uptake in terms of creativity? Perhaps the kind of mismatch between the, the type of uh, organization you're working with and the buy-in, as an example. Okay, well, my most surprising outcome, I did a creativity tour in Australia uh, last, well, January 2020, just before the, the pandemic hit. And I work with AFL, so I don't know if, Everyone is aware of what is AFL. So it's Australian rule football. It's a sport that, to be fully honest, I didn't know a thing before getting into a, like getting to Australia and discover this sport. But like, it's a group of like 40, like they, they, they are like, it's a big team. Uh, the, the guys are like, it's all like super strong male, uh, I would say male dominant attitude. And I arrived and we did two days with one team. And we started with we started with movement improv with everyone, staff, coaches, and players, which we divided in three groups because usually I don't do this with more than 20 people at the time because it, it become it became too difficult for me to uh to manage. Uh so yeah, so we did this like um, activity in like for six hours in a row, two hours for each group, movement improv, those like super outside of the box movement activity with those like masculine, super, uh, yeah, super masculine type of population. And then uh, we did some meeting with the coaches and the staff to see how we could integrate. And the next morning we did a creativity warm up because they wanted the session to be more free they wanted the player to try different things so they needed them to be open-minded so the coach was like okay you have 10 minutes at the beginning of practice to warm up their creative mindset and I was like okay so we did different activity using like the body to express emotion to express different psychological state in a super fast-paced type of movement so they had to generate a lot of ideas they had to let their judgment at the door they had to be vulnerable uh and oh my god at the end of this 10 minute the the players started to chant their like I guess, kind of team song or whatever it was. The guys were like jumping around me, like those 40 guys that were like two feet taller than me, jumping. And then I kind of exit this like kind of a crowd. And yeah, and then we went into practice. I was with the head coach discussing different way it could even trigger 
their creativity uh, more. Th that was a fantastic two days. And I was really surprised because the population was not the easiest to convince that creativity was something important. So yeah, that, that would be my, the first thing that come to mind. That's brilliant. Um, I think, you know, so the buy-in and the way that they saw that that could give them give them something new or, 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 or challenge a different, uh, you know, aspect of, of their players is a really nice, it shows a really nice openness from that set of coaches and from that group. Perhaps some people who are more closed and need some evidence. Um, what is the evidence of this uh, in terms of how it changes some of the things you've talked about? Yeah, so we've done different research projects. So, for instance, we've compared movement improv with aerobic dancing with doing nothing. So this was a project I did in Israel at Wingate Institute. So um, I got some funding from ACSM to uh, do a professional development. So that was in a genetic uh, lab in Israel. But what we did is that we took uh, three different groups. So for five weeks, we had one group that were doing movement improv. So those super free, open-ended movement activities where everything is right, where the participants have a lot of freedom to explore and stuff like that. Then we did aerobic dancing. So we wanted to see whether it was just the fact of moving that was actually impacting creativity or there was the environment that was created in the different groups. So the second group was aerobic dancing. They were following me, no freedom of movement. You mimic what I'm doing. There is music and like, we wanted still an activity that was similar, uh, but like in a really, really more uh, guided, directed, no freedom type of way. And then there was another group that were just reading about creativity. Just to compare whether, like, often we see creativity as, as kind of a only cognitive skills. So it should be intellectualized. Um, my what I'm trying to bring to sport is that it is not, it's like, don't go and sit in a room to learn about creativity. Let, let's try to integrate creativity in the movement in our everyday training, uh, especially in sport, it's quite easy to do. And we got really interesting result where not only movement creativity was improved more in the movement improv, but also what we call divergent thinking. So divergent, divergent thinking is this capacity to generate a lot of ideas that pertains to different category. Uh, so like, you know, you generate not only ideas that are related to the same types of idea, but you can go a little bit everywhere and originality. So the idea that you generate is also unique compared to a certain group uh, that that you might be compared with. So um, the the movement improv people actually did increase more than uh, the aerobic dancing and much more than those that were just reading. So that gave us a little hope that, okay, th there is a difference. And what I always find the most fascinating is doing mixed method, meaning that we do some quantitative measure. We measure divergent thinking, we measure movement creativity, but we also ask participants to 
like we we interview them we ask them how they experience the 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 activity and again it's so interesting how much growth there is when you let people explore movement differently in a more free type of uh, environment i like to call this risk friendly environment because this is this sweet balance between chaos because i am a big fan of creating chaos like i like to challenge people yet you need and this is where sometimes we make a really really uh, important mistake is that okay creating chaos is not enough yes you can use constraint you can have a lot of variability novelty ambiguity spontaneity that's cool yet you have to ensure that you provide support because some people will be really uncomfortable. And when I say really uncomfortable, it's like to the edge of crying sometimes that I, I see, you know, when your anxiety is at such a state that you're like, I'm becoming a little bit emotional about that. I've seen this in many groups. Yet when they feel that, hey, it is true that there's no judgment. It is true that I'm expecting nothing. I never, ever correct negatively someone like let's say oh no you should not do it no 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 never whatever the answer like whatever their answer is it's always accepted can i tell you a little anecdote that is quite Please. funny okay <laughs> so in this research project in israel there was this girl, oh my God, when she arrived. So of course, all the participants, we had a hundred participants and they were randomly distributed in one of the group. So this girl that I will call Dana, which is not her real name, she came in the class and after two minutes, I was explaining what was this class about. And I saw her eyes rolling and she was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Like, can I change group, please? And of course she could not. So she was so resistant. But when I say so resistant, it's like she was barely participating. Like she was expressing to me that she was not happy to be there. Uh, so that was first session. Second session, at the end of the session, I do a, an improv that it's called the fairy tale improv. So I asked a like little group of three or four participants to pick a fairy tale of their choice, whatever. And then they have to decide on a scene that they will improvise on and they have to distribute like which role they have in the scene. And during the improv, of course, I play with them. So let's say they start the, the improv and then I will say, okay, now you're doing it fast forward. So they need to move super, super fast. And then I'm like, okay, now you're doing this slow motion or in a robot type of movement. You get the thing? This dear Dana, to express how much she was resisting, they pick Sleeping Beauty. But... She didn't pick Sleeping Beauty as a character. She decided to be the bed under Sleeping Beauty. So she was literally lying on the floor, face to the floor, with someone lying on her back. So whatever I was asking, she was doing nothing. She was a furniture. So at the end, of course, she was expecting me to be like, I don't know if she was expecting me to be mad or to react to her non-participation and the class was like 
they were laughing because that was really funny, actually. And I just went on with how brilliant her idea was and how, how great it was that she found a way to participate with her own resources. And I could see in her face that she was really not expecting me to answer this way. And she understood at this moment that, hey, it's true. Really, I'm with you here. You want to do the bad, go with the bad. And I will fall, I will support that because you're testing the rules here. I knew she was doing this. And session three, she came back and suddenly I was like, oh my God, she's moving. Like she's doing the thing. Then session four, session five. And then she was opening, opening, opening. Session 10, at the end of the class, I, I could feel that she was staying, like, you know, when a student stay at the end and, like, want to talk to you. And she came with those earrings. So she had, like, design earrings for me. And on the envelope, it was written, uh, you made me realize that I was my biggest limitation. Thanks for helping me open up. Uh, I'll be forever grateful. And I was like, oh, God. Okay, like that, that's pretty cool. So that's, this, this is only one anecdote, but I could tell you so much more anecdote about how these uh, activity impact, they just made them realize how, yeah, how much we put some limitation our, on ourselves because we think that we can't or we don't want to be judged or we judge ourselves so much that it just prevent us from acting freely. So yeah, that's, I, I think I've took a, uh, 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 another fact here. I left research a little bit to uh, tell you more about anecdote, but that's that's just one out of so many different uh, anecdotes. And the most resistant are really often those that gain the most out of it. So I can imagine again. I mean, you talked about the the AFL people and the AFL uh, players as an example. I can I, I sort of had the idea that the AFL coaches might be resistant but this isn't just for players right this is this is for you, you said you did it for the whole staff in that AFL team so how does this impact on on coaches you know how can coaches use this actually you know what the reason why I went to this AFL team is that the head coach was part of a study tour that is organized by Coaching Better, which is an Australian company that bring coaches to uh, out of their like environment. And basically, they take a bunch of Australian coaches coaching different sports and they bring them to the West Coast of America. Um, and they make them visit other, like, just other environment. It could be sport related, but it could be uh, anything that has a performance outcome. So a few years ago, uh, I joined Coaching Better, uh, Coaching Better, and we did this full day. We started to do this full day at Cirque du Soleil, which is uh, there's a lot of studio in Vegas, which is on the west coast of the U.S. Um, yeah, the U.S. So uh, Coaching Coaching Better brought to me. So we were really organizing this full day at Cirque du Soleil in one of the Cirque du Soleil theater in one of the casino in Vegas. And the head coach of this uh, group was actually part of my, the last group I did uh, November 2019. Um, unfortunately, last group we did before 
everything stop with Cirque du Soleil, but they came so so. Actually, more I think about it. At the beginning, I was not necessarily targeting coaches with what I was doing, but these, uh, actually, this opportunity to receive coaches at Cirque du Soleil in Vegas um, made me realize that that was maybe our competitive advantage. If I can help coaches not only uh, coach for creativity, so give them technique to be able to challenge their player to become more creative. That that was really a a good thing. But uh, the owner of Coaching Better is Darren Holder, and by discussing with him, I was like, oh my god, if we make coaches more creative, this is maybe our best shot to make sport more creative in itself. So. Um, we started doing movement improv and this Ben is my favorite population because a lot of coaches, it's been a while. They haven't moved freely, you know? So like athletes are still pretty athletic, you know? So they have a big repertoire of movement, but when coaches arrive first, we ask them to show up at 8 AM in one of the Cirque du Soleil theater in a, in sport gear. So when coaches arrive, I'm telling you, they are all stressed out. You can see they're like, why do we have to be dressed up in sport, like sport outfit? And they, they see me also dressed in a sport outfit. So they're like, oh God. Actually, they all think that we will make them go on the trapeze and stuff like that, which is absolutely not the case. But then we start the day with this two hours of movement, uh, at the beginning, the coaches are like, okay, this is absolutely like nothing like they've done before in any coach education program. Like they are, yeah, it takes them a good 30 minutes to be like, okay, we, this is where we are going. And I've seen beautiful transformation in that too, where coaches at the beginning are really, really questioning the approach. But then because of the debrief, they start understanding where we're going. And then we do two hours movement improv followed by two hours of cognitive creativity. So basically, I take the exact same um, skill that we have explored in movement, but now we take a real sport-related problem, any problem they might have in their environment, and we use the same method, but now we really, really focus on their problem. So we do a lot of... um, like incremental ideation, we do some divergent thinking activity. Uh, we really build around this, and every coach can bring their problem to the table, and all the other coaches are helping. It's usually small groups between eight to 12 coaches. And then in the afternoon, we do the coaching for creativity because you know better than I. Coaches want to have strategy to help their athlete. Uh, in the morning, I'm telling them, and it's I always have to repeat, this is not about making your athlete better. It's about making you better. But coaches are always in the debrief sometimes. So how could we ha- apply that for our athlete? I'm like, no, 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 not this morning. This morning, it's all about you. How can you be better? How can you me- be more creative? And I promise them, then in the afternoon, we'll see how we can transfer all this. So we usually do a few hours in the afternoon uh, 
about coaching for creativity. So technique they can apply to help their athlete become more creative. And after that, we have a little bit of fun. So they visit, uh, we go to a Cirque du Soleil training. So they can see how artists are training. They talk to um, some of the Cirque du Soleil coaches because there's coaches in Cirque du Soleil as well. And then finally, we end the day with a Cirque du Soleil show where they are so toasted at this time that some of them sometimes have a little like moment of napping during the show. But most of the time they find this amazing because we try to go see the training of the show we will see at night. So they kind of feel they know the artist. So it's quite fun. So yeah, th this is how we apply. And from this, this is where uh, the coaches that were in this last group we did in Vegas, they were so intrigued by how we could follow up from this day at Cirque du Soleil that they invited me in Australia to visit their club. So the head coach of this AFL club, he had already participated in the activity and he is the one that says everyone is doing it, not just the athlete, everyone is participating. Of course, you might think this one, this coach was already quite open-minded just to get into the study tour, come to Vegas, participate in this, and then uh, bring me to Australia. But I think it can be done in, in many environments. That's fascinating, actually. Fascinating to, to hear how the coaches will open up uh, to these kind of new, new possibilities, I think is the right way of putting that. Um, yeah. I think, you know, for me, like that, that leads me to the question perhaps around, you know, Where's this taking you? What's uh, what's next for you? What what's what's the plan? Well, now I realize, like I said um, at the beginning, I started this quite naively. Like I was never doing this for, like I was doing it for a PhD at first, and then okay, postdoc kind of made me understand that that was maybe a topic that I could almost build a career around. But now I start seeing that, okay, yes, if I really want to push this, I need to fully focus on that. So what's next is actually, I really want to start a lab that is fully devoted to creativity in sport or creativity in movement, I should say. And we have, or the next step is really measurement. So we just uh, really recently write a research uh, proposal that on like a, kind of a three-year project where we want to first educate coaches. So start from the coaches, make coaches more creative, equip coaches to coach for creativity, and then follow them up. This is a piece where now I've done the workshop. I am in connection with some of the coaches that, were in those workshops, but it's not in a um, systematic way. You know, it's just more, hey, some coaches decide to keep reaching out to me, but now I really want to systematize. My God, some words are not so good, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so this is what we want to do. We want to create this lab where uh, there will be different branches of the lab, but one of the branches is definitely to push this educating coaches first, then following up with them to make sure that they are really comfortable with their own creativity and also uh, coaching for creativity. And then the optimal outcome would be to measure the impact on athlete. So after, let's say, being coached for a year, 
uh, with these like creative technique, uh, different type of environment, like the establishment of risk-friendly environment, what is the psychological impact on athlete and also impact on performance? This is the, the, the little piece that is still missing and that to be able to really do this, I have to commit 100% of my time to it. Now my life is split between being an applied consultant and doing mental performance development, which is amazing and I love. Yet, if I want to push the creativity uh, side, I, I'll have to, uh, yeah, commit a bit more fully uh, to it, write more paper about it, a concept paper about this. Um, everything I talked today might come out soon. So we'll see. Still under review. So I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's uh, that's great I, to to be able to have somewhere that the listeners can go to to actually sort of maybe read a little bit more around some of the stuff we've spoken about today. I mean, I've I've enjoyed listening to you. I think it's a really refreshing look on uh, on, on and your approach is a really refreshing um, look at at the world through your lens um, and so many possibilities for anybody, practitioners, athletes, coaches, certainly going forward. Where do uh, where do people follow you if they want to um, keep in touch with your work? Yeah, well, um, I'm not the best social media person, to be fully honest. I I put my paper uh, there when they are out, so on Twitter or 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 on LinkedIn with my name. I guess my name was will be written on the show notes. So uh, just. Um, write my name, you will find me easily. If you are an academic, ResearchGate is definitely the the best option to follow the research and also have access to the paper. Uh, but to any audience that is interested in, interested in anything, I can give you my email. And the best way is to send me an email if you're interested in. I always send my paper to the people that are reaching me uh, directly and uh, yeah and we can have a chat about it we also have like some summary of like more um summarized stuff about uh the different workshop we do for coaches for athletes so yes please feel free to reach out i always like to uh connect with people that's definitely true um uh, fantastic thank you so much uh, for your time today and thanks for the, the chats we've had off air beforehand it's been eye-opening for me in terms of my own uh, creativity for sure uh, but thanks yes. once again for thanks once again for joining us today well thanks again for the chat it was fun to share with you i'd like to say a big thank you to veronique for the fascinating insight in today's show if you're a new listener who enjoyed the episode or a returning listener then please leave us a review if you can spare us one second or one sentence. It would make an enormous difference to the show's success. Also, hit subscribe if you haven't done so too. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Informed Performance Podcast. Tune in next week for more performance and sports medicine insights.